Now it's time for Half Hour to Health on 1077 The Pulse. I sure not feel good. Welcome to Half Hour to Health. I'm Dr. Stephanie from Crossroads Chiropractic with a very special guest this morning. Please welcome Lynn Blankenbecker. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's so fun to have you on the show. Tell us what you're doing right now because you're under a major undertaking. (laughs) Well, currently I'm running for Congress. So I'm running in the 2nd Congressional District here in New Hampshire. And um, yeah. That's, that's my new adventure. <laughs> that is a huge adventure. So what made you decide that you wanted to run? Well, you know, um, I've always I've always been about protecting public service, right? And it started out in the military, sort of protecting and defending the Constitution and protecting and defending our nation. And, uh, and so that's just always been in my blood. And then I think the thing that really tipped me over was when I was in D.C. working on health care policy at the Pentagon and at the Defense Health Headquarters. I got to live every single day the dysfunction in our Congress. And I, the, the infighting and the gridlock that caused... Um, you know, just it just caused these stalemates and, and, you know, nothing was getting done for the people of America. And, you know, at the Pentagon, it's it's uh, 60 percent civilians. So when the government shuts down, those civilians can't go to work. Now, I don't know about you, but if 60 percent of your employees couldn't come to work today, oh. especially employees with key information, you pretty much can't do your job. And so when you think about it, we were a nation at war. And um, we still have a military and we have to protect and defend this country. And so um, that wasn't a good place to have a shutdown. So I thought, you know, there's two million people that wear a uniform and we don't care about the color of your skin or the uniform you wear. We don't care about, um, you know, religious or political background. We all have a mission and we took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. And if two million people in a uniform can do it, 435 people in Congress should be able to do it. So I want to join with my brothers and sisters in arms who are serving in you know Congress right now. There's several military people that are serving in Congress, and there are a lot of veterans that are running this time. And hopefully change that, you know, get in there, bring that ethic with us, and change the course of where, where Congress is going so that we have Congress people who stand strong for the Constitution and strong for their districts and not run and hide. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us about your experiences in healthcare and, and what you've been seeing as far as healthcare on our national level. Oh, sure. Well, so you may know this. I'm a Navy nurse, and so I've been a nurse for 34 years, and uh, I've done healthcare law. I'm also a healthcare attorney and healthcare policy development, like I said, at the Pentagon and at the Defense Health Headquarters. And I also did healthcare legislation. I was elected to the New Hampshire House of Representatives from 2009 to 2012 representing Concord. But I, um, I was sat on Health and Human Services Committee. So I have this very broad and deep healthcare background. And so it's really important for me to want to bring that to Congress and work with the 13 current members of Congress who have any medical background to work on healthcare reform for us. But I still function as a Navy nurse. And so, so probably you haven't retired yet. No, Are you still active? I, I'm still a reservist. reservist? I'm an active okay. reservist. So, um, and so most recently, I deployed aboard USNS Comfort and I went to New York City to take care of the people there during the COVID crisis that was going on around March to June. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for serving there. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, I consider it a privilege every day that I get to put the uniform on. So what was that like? Um, you know, it's funny because because of the models, 
Um, there was a belief that New York City was short of beds and short of ventilators. So one of the fastest ways we could get a thousand beds to New York City was to bring our ship. And that's exactly what we did. The ship was in what we call refit or it was in for maintenance. And so we moved it out of the maintenance yard and into the to the yard where it would get to, you know, to set sail. I got there late on a Wednesday night and we set sail Saturday morning. It was that fast they turned that ship around. And when you think about a ship of that size, and then it only took us about a day and a half to sail to New York City. So a very fast way to get a fully stocked uh, 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 hospital right there at the pier in New York City. When we got there, though, we really realized that New York City didn't have a bed problem and they didn't have a ventilator problem. What they had was a staffing problem. There weren't enough doctors and nurses for whatever reason. Um, You know, of course, increased patient load. But then we also had doctors and nurses who were either had fevers and couldn't come to work to take care of the patients or were being in different stages of quarantine. And so um, really what they lacked was uh, doctors and nurses. So we saw about 185 patients on our ship. We had, uh, you know, I mean, it was a tremendous service we offered to the people of New York City. We did take COVID patients. We did a lot of surgical procedures. We did over 100 surgical procedures on the ship and things that were life-saving. Diabetic foot ulcers, people would have lost their legs. Um, you know, we had a, uh, a several ruptured appendixes that had they not gotten treated, they would have died from, you know, sepsis. So, so uh, we did a lot of different types of surgeries. And um, it was great. It was great to take care of the people. But when they wanted to bring the field hospital and build it in the middle of New York City in Central Park, they really realized that that wasn't the right environment. Building a big tent and lining up beds and in a condition where there's a respiratory virus and you can't really isolate in that environment wasn't optimal. And so what we did was put the doctors and nurses that came from the military into those hospitals. So they went directly to the city hospitals and took care of the patients there. Wow, And so it's the first time ever I think we've seen this in our nation where, you know, you know, because you're a practitioner and you're licensed in the state of New Hampshire, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't just walk into South Dakota and start doing, you know, set up shop without going through a process of getting licensed in South Dakota. This time that didn't happen. They said, nope, we got credentialed licensed providers in this, you know, wherever we're from. And New York has a need. Let's just get them there and take care of the people now while they're sick and not go through the, you know, the, all of the regulation to get that, to get them there. Because that would have taken months. Well, when things need to get done, they can get done. Absolutely. Well, we saw that happen. <laughs> so what was your experience in working with COVID? Because we're all watching the news and there's various levels of fear and no one knows where the truth is at, really. Right, right. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you from two perspectives. One, I took care of many patients that had COVID that didn't even know they had COVID. We tested everybody when they came on the ship. And remember that PCR test that they test, the swab in the nose, mm-hmm. only looks for the RNA of the virus. So the virus could be not active at that time. You know, you know, I always try to liken this to if I, you know, if you died right here today and a week later I came and took your cells, we definitely see your DNA and RNA. I could definitely say that that is Dr. Stephanie, but you're not alive, right? And it's the same thing with this virus. And so they were testing patients. So we have no idea where on the spectrum, if they were contagious or not, how, you know, they could have been shedding dead virus and had been sick weeks before. So we did have some patients who were very sick from COVID. The day that we got 10 ventilator patients, they were transferred because the local hospital uh, 
their oxygen plant went down, and we could manufacture oxygen on our ship. And several of those patients were ventilated because of COVID. And so we did see some sick patients, but most of the patients I took care of when we swabbed them and they came back positive, they were like, oh, that's news to me. Wow. (laughs) Right. They didn't even know. They didn't feel sick. When I got COVID, if if you had told me that, um, you know, if I... I didn't think my symptoms equaled COVID. I just wasn't sick. I had a runny nose and I was in New York City, you know, during during the spring and it was a new environment with smog, you know, it, pollen, not that I usually get environmental allergies, but I was also wearing an N95 mask all the time. So when I got congested, I thought, well, you know, it's just something in the environment. I, yeah. did, I didn't think I was sick with COVID, yep. you know, but then when I tested positive and had an antibody test that came back wildly positive, it's pretty certain I caught it somewhere. I just was never sick. Okay. So what did you have to do at that point? Go in isolation. And did you isolate while you were in New York? No. So interestingly, I and I only know this because in the military, if they give you a medication, you have to go through the pharmacy. And so they it's just like any prescription. It'll have the date on the bottle. And so I looked back because it was all a retrospective look for me. We left New York City on April 29th, and I tested negative. I was afebrile and tested negative when I left New York City. And they so the Navy policy was... You, if you had a negative test, you would go into quarantine. We call it restriction of movement. You wear a mask and you stay in your room most of the time, but you could come out to get your meals, social distancing. On May 12th, which was two weeks later, I was tested and had I had two consecutive negatives, they would have sent me home, but I tested positive. Oh, sorry. Um, I tested positive. So I had to go into isolation. So you were in isolation, but you were with the military. Yes. But not in New York City. No, I was not. I was in Portsmouth, Portsmouth, Virginia at this point. Okay. So I tested positive, and then I was strict isolation, which meant I couldn't leave my room for any purpose. Were they passing you food under the door? Absolutely. <laughs> they knocked on my door three times a day and brought me food. Okay. And so, um, and you know, being a very social person, that's a very hard thing to do. And I really, really got a sense of what it's like for, say, our nursing home patients or our patients in hospice who really want to see their families, whether it's end of life, whether it's, you know, and they, um, you know, and they didn't get to see their families. And that's a really hard time. My heart really broke for for folks like that, because Mm -hmm. I know how hard it was for me. And so I, um, but I'm also admitted to the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. So I took that 14 days to do research to figure out just how far can the federal government go to isolate us in the name of public health? Oh, that's a conversation that I want to have, but we are running out of time okay, in the okay. first half. So we're okay. going to take a break. Okay. But I think all the listeners are going to want to stay tuned for that conversation. Absolutely. So hang on. We'll be right back here on Half Hour to Health. 